You're listening to PZ's Podcast, a guided tour of ancient truths and absurd tales for the modern pilgrim. PZ is space cruising at low altitudes most days through a galaxy of phantom planets of the mind, ever in search of an answer to his wound. Is he a space Parsifal bleeding under his suit but hopeful for journey's end? Buckle up and join him now as he blasts by Mars and Venus, rounding Luna in sure and certain hope of our childhood's end. You can reach PZ while he is on this quest at pzspodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's PZ. love that tell star by Joe Meek that is one of the greatest most insane conceptions that has ever been breathed into the life of the human race that's Joe Meek from about 1960 on the clavio line with Jeff Goddard now um the podcast today relates to a film from exactly the same era as Telstar but it, um, I want to say something about uh, when I talk about these films because this is not a film studies 101 or it's not PC's little sort of pet things. Of course it is at one level. But what it is is it's, a, um, it's an attempt of, uh, from a lifetime of, of ministry and work with people and work with, with ideas related to God to look at uh, works mostly of pop art and uh, works of uh, movies especially, uh, because that's my personal preference, but also music and literature, from the perspective of uh, decades of working with people and working in uh, religious institutions towards a kind of spiritual or, let's use the word, theological end. So you're not just getting, uh, you know, Cahiers du Cinema from 2012 from a fan, although he is a fan, and he does love Kaiji Cinema. But he's someone who is always trying to pull these things together as best I may, psychodynamically, and also, I guess I would still use the word religiously, to offer something uh, that is synthetic as a result of looking at the material, which hopefully is also worthwhile and useful. And I want to say one other thing about um, some of this material. Much of this material we talk about, I talk about, no royal we, it's material that I saw when I was little or material that I saw when I was a kid. That is to say, we lived it. One of the misnomers that's floating around today is the word new wave in relationship to English, ash can or angry young man, uh, working class dramas of the late 50s and early 60s. It's a misnomer because the French wave or la nouvelle vague in France with Godard and Truffaut and um, uh, Jacques Demy, although he's not really part of it, but all the other people we associate with the new wave. This um, was quite different. It was uh, twinkling, and it was charming, and it was self-conscious, but delightful and ironic, and it was a, a, a use of tricks from D.W. Griffith and early days of Hollywood to sort of tell stories on the part of... Um, 
these uh, uh, these tremendously young and delightful, chain-smoking, terrific French guys who were just having a blast. Now, the uh, movies that were made contemporaneously in England, and we saw them. We saw them when they came out. We were there, as it were, in France, as it turned out, and later and soon thereafter in England, as it turns out. But certainly in the movie theaters of our day, back in 1961, we <clears throat> would... Um, see these movies from England, and they had nothing to do with the Nouvelle Vague or the New Wave. They were really highly realistic or gritty. Now, some of them did. Richard Lester, Hard Day's Night, and Help, and very definitely um, The Knack. And I want to give great credit to my friend Bill Bowman, who has helped me to understand this recently, that our fascination at that day and time with what later became video clip type work with movies with all these tricks thrown into an English-language Beatles landscape was, in fact, not what was really going on. What was really going going on was a a, a very realistic, hyper-realistic, small-scale series of uh, domestic dramas, usually about working-class English people that were filled with reality and depth and many different recognizable characters and situations. And they were neither hippie, nor were they countercultural, nor were they in any way full of tricks. They were um, attempts to tell, often very beautifully, in film language, uh, works of literature by Alan Silito and by Barstow, in this case Sam Barstow, and any John Osborne, any number of other people, tales. And to call them New Wave is just a ridiculously and almost almost hard to fathom modern um, categorization. And the categorization of these movies and of all works of art, you know, is always a mistake. When you categorize, you're basically um, trying to... Uh, control the reality of something, usually negatively. If I see somebody who I don't like and I put them in a category, uh, later on they may surprise me. They may turn out to be really nice. Or people that I put into a positive category in my mind, I've categorized them as being this or that kind of acceptable person, they may turn out to be absolutely reprehensible, mean, and and totally self-involved and unable to help me when I need it. You've often seen this, haven't you, with friends, people who you put into a category of terrificness and turned out to be awful, or some people who you simply put in a terrible category and turned out to be really um really be delightful and really a heart people with heart so categorization in real life is a real mistake with women it's so you know men and women you categorize categorize a woman based upon her appearance or based upon something she says and you put it into a category that you can handle that's usually negative so as to sort of put off anything fresh or new or perhaps quote challenging she might have to convey to you and women do this to men we all do it to each other we do it to our parents we do it to our sisters. We do it to our brothers. We do it to our employees. We do it to our fellow workers. We do it to our boss. We do it to anybody. So don't do it because not because it's a bad thing to do, but because it cuts you off from what actually may be happening. So when all this talk about this kind of movie or that kind of movie, these movies were simply wonderful movies. Each of them told in their own way and occasionally they had a great script, a wonderful director, terrific actors, and a good cinematographer, and you had a work of art such as the movie I'm going to talk about now, A Kind of Loving. So are you with me there? We didn't see these movies as children of the 60s. We saw these movies as children. We didn't see these movies as sort of set in their era or showing the changing attitudes about sex of an era. Attitudes about sex were changing, but we were cha- we were part of the change. We were changing ourselves. There was no – people don't – you know, that they, when, they, when they put a blog post out today, they don't say, well, this is what people were like who lived in the year 2012 between 9-11 and anxiety, but at the same time with the Internet revolution or this, that, or the other thing. We don't see it that way. 
way. We see it as something we want to say, something we feel, something that we wish to observe, and we put it out there, but we don't put it into some kind of time-bound capsule, you know, that someone's going to find underneath a, 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 a foundation stone of a church or town hall or a library someday. That's not what it is. It's, it came out of where we live. Where we live is in our hearts, our heads, our, our, our spirits. What we, so, so all this categorization is ridiculous, but I do want to say that we were there. We actually went to these movies on Saturdays. When they first arrived, we learned about English working-class life, which was as far from us removed as Mars is from Venus. And we learned about that at the time. And then, by the grace of God, Mary and I were able to spend two years plus, plus, plus in England living in a vast blue-collar town known as Nottingham, and right after the period in which these movies were conceived and filmed, and these uh, council housing estates were still there. They, they were, people still thought that way. We went to a, a football match once in the very early 70s that was right out of a kind of loving. It was all these men, thousands and thousands and thousands of men in raincoats, uh, looking grim and awful. And it was as if World War II had just ended a month ago, and there was a kind of a deep, deep masculine but suppressed rage there. Not like the yobs of today or yesteryear, but the, the, there was something very major going on with these legions of black rain-coated working-class men of all ages coming out to have then the pint, pint and get so drunk on the Saturday night. That was, it was, I took Mary to one of these by sort of mistake, and I said, oh my gosh, this is really strange. I, I feel very uncomfortable for her. And we left, and that was only with 60,000 new friends in Nottingham Forest playing Leeds United or something like that. Well, we were there, too. We saw the Stanton Stavely Steelworks. We used to walk on these uh, uh, Victorian parks, these working man Victorian parks with their uh, bandstands for the brass bands and their Victorian arrangements of flowers, really, that are, were, were so dated, and a couple of cannons from the seeds of Siege of Kuala Lumpur and, and a statue of Queen Victoria and the gardens and we saw those and it was still a little bit like that there was a anyway it, we, we lived that a, a tad after the movies describing it but we certainly had been there and had been invested with these marvelous films so uh, cut the categorizations if you can when you're dealing with people you love let alone works of art and you all do well and also uh, listen to me uh, listen to my friend Bill Bowman he said something to me uh, excruciatingly accurate and undoingly perceptive when he described um he put our youthful love for the genuine New Age uh, uh, knockoffs by Richard Lester and the real English movies of the time, and he said, "Just look at, just look at having a wild weekend, the Dave Clark Five movie from 1966, or look at Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter, the uh, Herman's Hermits movie from 1968, which I have never seen, although I've seen recently a section of it uh, for the first time." And he said, "Look, these movies are really about working class people and re- real people who are trying to live in a real situation. They're much more like." kitchen sink dramas, even the rock and roll ones, with the exception of Hard Day's Night, that then we think that these are, uh, and I happened to see the trailer for Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, in which a working class fella played by Peter Noon of Herman, of Herman's Hermits, is raising a dog, a racing dog called Mrs. Brown's Daughter or something. I mean, good heavens, who would have thought that? Is there anything... um, Time bound about that. It, it, it's really striking when you look at it now. It's not hooting, uh, hullabaloo or shindig. It's it's working class drama comes to the way it actually was. So I'm trying to say resist categorization. We were there and we felt these things and we lived them. And now let me talk just for a minute 
about a kind of loving. The film is not on DVD yet in this country, but you can get an old VHS copy. And if you don't mind, if you wouldn't mind, you can go to YouTube and you can see it in 11 parts. Now, I know some people don't like to do that, and I recognize that. Now you can get a computer hookup, which I have downstairs, in which I can actually see a kind of loving in full on my television in my sitting room uh, via YouTube. It's an amazing thing that's happened, but it's possible. And that's really great uh, because then you can see um, the whole movie in 11 parts. But you may not want to do that. And I'm pretty soon this will come out on DVD as it is out on a Region 2 DVD in Britain. But the movie tells a very important tale, and I want to make two brief comments about it. It tells a story of young Vic, a draftsman in a big firm in Blackburn or Manchester who's trying to get ahead out of his strictly working class or blue-collar origins. But he would just say he doesn't want to be a a minor like his father. And he's trying to get out of his uh, little housing estate, and he takes a job, and he meets a girl in the secretarial pool there, and this is 1961, played by June Ritchie. Vic is played by... Alan Bates, and he plays it to perfection. And he meets this pretty blonde uh, girl who he doesn't know anything about, nor she him, and they start a relationship. And he is dear and vulnerable and sweet and kind and normal. He loves naked girls. He loves getting drunk at the pub, but not to excess, you might say. He loves his friends. He lives with his parents and his brother in a tiny little, what we would call a walk-up, but in those days a a working-class um attached house with 50 other families in the vicinity and there it is And uh, but he's a sweetheart and he's trying to get out and he's, he's sort of average type you might say but a sweet guy basically and he meets this girl and he falls in love with her she's very attractive and she's obviously very screwed up about sex she's very nervous about that but she's normal and she's pretty and she she um she likes him, and she wants to get out of her life, which we'll talk about in a sec. And uh, they eventually, he, he, they almost break up because she won't have sex with him, and it's all done, you know, and without saying it's all done to the body language. But the movie conveys it a hundred percent accurately, without showing things. It conveys them and shows them, but shows them in a way that you would show back then, but much more than an American film was. It actually shows his his frustration uh, with her sexually and her inability to deal with it, but she wants to, but she's afraid, and so forth and so on. And finally, she gives in. It's sort of, you know, like sex was in those days. It was sort of like a, 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 a dental operation or like surgery, major surgery. You sort of got ready for it if you finally decided to give yourself to the man you hoped would marry you, and, and, and he he was had never quote done it before or at least barely and 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 he's sort of the doctor and she's the patient and uh, don't hurt me be gentle with me this is a line that occurs in the earliest one of these movies called room at the top with Lawrence Harvey and uh, there's a line very similar to it in uh, a kind of loving and sort of she goes through the surgical operation uh, and who in the world would ever want to do that again after the way it was understood and clumsily really awfully done it's a terrible commentary on Otempera Omores, and uh, she gets pregnant. And that's that. And he, out of a sense of obligation, marries her. But it turns out this is the key issue. She has a mother. Her mother and she live alone. In the book, uh, wonderful book by Barstow, it's a longer book than the movie book, um, they, uh, the mother is a, uh, 
has a husband somewhere, I believe, who occasionally makes an appearance. But in the movie, it seems that she's a widow. And she has, she's extremely prudish, the mother, and absolutely hates the idea of sex of any kind for whatever reason that is. And uh, she's sympathetic in her own kind of a way. The movie is so even-handed, but she is completely dominating of this poor blonde girl. And she's very similar to the mother in the Natalie Wood uh, Splendor in the Grass movie. He sort of barges in in a pre-date situation or maybe a post-date situation and sort of insists on knowing a lot more than she ought to be asking. And her daughter has no choice and knuckles under. And in this case, the mother is just devastated when the daughter has to marry Vic. Just devastated. And she hates the man. And because they can't find a place to live on their own for financial reasons, false economy. Remember, people, do not make decisions out of false economy. You can destroy your life. We were with some people recently who were trying to get somewhere in Florida, but they came from overseas. And uh, they were so um, penny-wise, pound-foolish, even though they had the ability to do it, that they did not go on the major turnpikes here. They went on a back road, quote, end of quote, near Orlando to get to somewhere. And they, because they didn't want to pay the the tolls on the turnpike, which we actually figured out later would have come to $4.99, and they wouldn't do it. And so they took a back road, and they got hopelessly lost, hopefully backed up in traffic, and never made it. I mean, they they finally got to where they were going, but it was like an hour and a half late, and everything had been destroyed. The whole event had been wrecked because of uh, pennywise, pound foolish. Please don't be pennywise, pound foolish. Uh, Five dollars, you know. So these people, out of financial fears, move in with the mother, and the mother can't stand the son-in-law and does everything she can to come between her daughter and the son-in-law, and it works. And the son-in-law is just normal. He gets drunk occasionally. He wants to have sex with his wife, who, when she's living under her mother's roof, won't have sex with him because she just can't with her mother being there. Absolutely cannot, cannot. And uh, you understand it when you meet her mother, played by Thora Hurd, in a really brilliant performance. And there you have a terrible denouement of this thing. And so finally, without giving it away, a crisis happens. And... uh, he really has no choice but to move out, although with no credit to himself, he, he fails his wife at a key moment. And uh, you understand why. And she's failed him very really by not uh, understanding the power of her mother to get between them. She's failed him. He fails her. And he moves out and goes away. And the movie's a rather hopeful and really very touching conclusion or finale, which I think is earlier than when the book ends by a long shot, the, um, a very touching thing happens. And uh, these basic, these young people's basically instinctive drive for connection and uh, unity and love and um, emotional independence is more or less potentially presaged by the end of the film in a very realistic and, in fact, with a strong sexual vibe that is not understated, but at the same time said the way it would have been said and communicated the way it would, it, the way we said it, the way we would have said it, even in this country in those days, and you have a touching ending. Now, I want to say two things about that. First, I want to repeat the theme of, of not, you know, some of the things sometimes you do, it's very good. Um, twice this happened this week. I was in a situation where I... Um, was twiddling my thumbs or I was between things and I just turned on TCM to see what was on. It happened in one case. It was this movie by the Dave Clark Five directed by John Borman written by Peter Nichols called Having a Wild Weekend and I just happened to be watching it while um, waiting for some important news and it's great. I mean, it's fabulous. And, you know, the great surprise of being taken by surprise, it's probably not that great, but because I'd put it into a category, you know, another hard day's night knockoff that wasn't good, having never seen the movie, I might add, turns out it's really, really good. Uh, 
And so I was surprised because I, I'd, I'd put a category on it, and then it burst the category. So like with the law and the gospel, it had double the power. The law suppresses double, and without the law, the sexual excitation and joy of life and the joie de vivre and the creativity and the independence and the autonomy that is creative and original comes flowing out. Well, the same was with this movie. And then secondly, I happened to decide, in this case to decide, but I happened to watch it. It was off sides. I saw it on YouTube rather than TCM. A Kind of Loving. And oh, wow, damn, this movie tells the story not of, you know, the way mores were changing in the late 50s or English working class life in Manchester in 1957. Yeah, that's the context of it. Just like the context of Jesus of Nazareth's life is first century what is sometimes called Palestinian Judaism. But apparently you're not supposed to say that today. You're supposed to call it something else because, you know, we, we have all these reflections in a golden eye. Well, the golden eye was, you know, this is a, um, a 1962 working class environment, but it's not. It's about real people. It's about helicopter moms. It's about what people do today with texting and infinite phone calls and being way too involved in the details of those we love, where it's very good often to stay outside. But, oh, forget about that. Forget it, forget it. So fascinating, isn't it? Absolutely fascinating. So I um, want to say then, first, avoid the categorization. And here was a classic case in which two little works of art, having a wild weekend and a kind of loving, came through like scuba divers trying to get through a uh, net to prevent uh, enemy submarines coming in. They get through the net to plant the bomb. It got through my net because I wasn't expecting it, and therefore I hadn't categorized it, and therefore it could speak to me, listen to me. And then second thing, listen, those of you who are mothers and fathers with our children, uh, we need to let these children go, which is not to say we ever can stop loving them, and more than a kind of loving, loving them wholeheartedly and with tremendous feeling and great love and uh, uh, everlasting lasting ontological unity. <laughs> Remember all that. But um, the uh, whole thing of possession is where love goes wrong. Uh, the Mrs. Rothwell possesses her daughter Ingrid. Now, she has her reasons. She's making up for various things. She doesn't have a husband. She's got all sorts of grievances, and it's she is sympathetically portrayed to a point, but what she does has no excuse because she she succeeds in essentially destroying her daughter's life. By the grace of God, the daughter's instinctual wanting to move out to a man, to another person, psychosexually and emotionally, um, seems to be able to overcome in some degree, you believe, her uh, domination and possessedness by her mom. But um, it happens all the time in life today. I, I've done hundreds of weddings, and I've done w- weddings all over the country and all over the world, actually, as it turns out. And I've had a chance to see many, many, many different of these situations and so much pastoral counseling. I mean, again, hundreds of couples, married couples, in divorce, after divorce, in new love, or just on the verge of divorce, talking to me in my study. This is what clergy actually do. Despite all the secular words you may read, uh, you know, in various places, people still go to churches to get help often when they're in trouble. Maybe not in every place, but in a lot of parts of this world, people still go to a priest to try to get help when they're at their wits' end. They, it's their way of saying, I need help. And if it's a Roman Catholic priest or if it's a Methodist minister or if it's PZ sitting in a study in some town uh, or somebody else, for heaven's sake, it's not exclusive to churches by any means. So people are looking for something. So we've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of things. And one thing I know is that if you can't leave and cleave, 
if you can't leave your father and your mother, as Jesus said, and as the great law of Moses um, put in letters of gold, you are lost. Um, it, 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 it involves a leaving of father and mother. And by the way, men have to do this with their moms. Women have to do it with their fathers. Generally speaking, the relationship with the mother is pretty ironclad and needs attention, as this movie very beautifully says, which is not to say that a man's relationship with his mother, a la Norman Bates, but that's way too extreme, obviously, duh. But a lot of men, as in... Uh, Oh, golly, and I can think of all sorts of novels. Wasn't it Sons and Lovers by D.H. Lawrence? Although that's not the only theme in that novel, but it's very possible for maternal love with a man to overwhelm his ability to be able to love a woman as an adult. And the same with the mother's love for her daughter to stand in the way of her ability to declare independence and actually have an adult bring herself, present herself as she is in her totality or in her reality to a man. That's really very, very big. So um, think about that, especially if you're a mom or a dad or you have people you want to possess. You have every reason to. You have every reason to, but they're not going to like you for very long. They're not going to like you for very long. And people who, who, on whom you have a possessive uh, um, design, even if it's for the very most understandable, real ego reasons, will inevitably evade the design in some form, even if they just split and lead a double life. So that's another lesson we can learn from this movie, which is not just about a transition in culture, because I'm not living – I may be in a period of time, 2012, in which there is a transition in culture, in which there are some – great changes going on underneath the surface that I'm not even aware of, but I don't see it that way. I just see it as me living out my life the best I can in the year that I happen to be living in, which in this case is in fact 2012. See the kind of loving. It's not on DVD in this region, although it's on a region 2 DVD, but you can get it on VHS. But as I said, if you don't mind, see if you can watch it on YouTube. You'll be glad you did. And then another day, we'll talk about Alan Bates's first film, which I believe is available on YouTube too, but don't tell anybody that I said it. And what is that? Well, let's just say that the climactic line in the whole film, realistically and with many great layers of meaning, is Jesus Christ! Thank you so much, and I've got another surprise. God bless. I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly you around the universe in Fireball XL5. Way out in space together, compass of the sky. My heart would be a fireball, a fireball. Every time I gazed into your starry would be a fireball, a fireball. 